Well, good morning once again, Bell Schultz family. My name is Corey Abney. I serve as the lead pastor here and I want to say thank you for being with us today. Those of you in the room here at our Brandon campus want to welcome, of course, all of you who are joining us online. Maybe you're on spring break. Maybe you're tuning in from somewhere across the country and you're part of our community of faith. We welcome you today. And um, man, isn't it a joy to worship together and have moments where we're reminded that we need God, right? Man, we need God in our lives. We need Jesus, his saving grace, his ongoing power and provision. That's what Bell Shoals is all about. We're about proclaiming just the excellencies of the grace of Jesus and the goodness of God because wherever you are in life, whatever your situation, whatever your background, we need God. Our children need God, our grandchildren need God, our nation needs God. We're in desperate need of him. And and really our, our current teaching series on the life of Abraham is all about that. It's all about our need for God. And, and maybe you think of Abraham as like this incredible figure who, who lived his life with such immense faith that you could never duplicate it. You, you think of a man, you think of a figure who's a hero, who's, who's a giant, a spiritual giant. You think of someone who's, whose faith is unattainable. You think of someone who is larger than life. But really, today, we're going to be reminded that the story of Abraham, the life of Abraham is really and ultimately not about Abraham, it's about God. It's about his need for God and our need for God. And what we see in the life of Abraham is humanity's overwhelming desperate need for God because our faith is not enough. Our obedience is not enough. We need God. We need God's favor. We need God's faithfulness. We need God's protection and provision. Really, the story of Abraham is not a story with Abraham as the hero. It's a story with God as the hero. And today I want to show you why that's so true. Because because the Bible is actually very, very honest with us about the victories and the failures of its heroes. That's one of my favorite things about God's word, by the way. And if you're new to the Bible, new to church, like, like that's one of the things I want you to know is, is maybe you, you kind of look into God's word and you evaluate the, the message of Christianity. Listen, I want you to see today that God's word is precious because it does not hide the faults of its heroes. It's very, very real, very honest. The, the primary reason for this is because the Bible is good history. The Bible's not myth. The Bible's not fable. You know what myths and fables do? They present heroes that, that are unrealistic. They're like romance novels with, that, with Fabio on the front cover, right? Bronze and blonde and unattainable, you know? And it's like that's how myths and fables work historically. Like there, there are characters who are unrealistic, unattainable. That's not the Bible. That's not God's word. God's word is honest. You know why? Because it's good history. 
The Bible is recording for us historical events that took place and historical figures that both succeeded in their walk of faith and also failed. And the Bible, as we'll see today, does not hide the faults of its heroes. The Bible is very, very honest. The other reason that the Bible is this honest about its heroes is to encourage you and me that guess what? Our heroes are not the ultimate heroes of human history. God is the hero of human history. We don't have a perfect human hero throughout the history of humanity. We're never going to find a perfect human hero in the pages of God's word. All of our human heroes, like Abraham, are flawed. Their faith is flawed. Their faith journeys are flawed. And that not only serves to remind us that God's word is accurate and true and historical, but also to encourage us that guess what? Every single one of us seeking God, seeking to walk with him in our faith journey are gonna have moments where we fail, where we mess up, but there is a way through it. It's kind of like, for real, like this weekend, uh, my family and I, we were watching some basketball and some golf. And, and you know, it's March, so it's, you know, written in the American Constitution, you have to watch basketball in March. All right, that's what you have to do. So we were watching some basketball. Uh, no kidding. We were watching a game, a guy, Division One college athlete on scholarship, like amazing player, one of the best players in the country, gets the ball at the top uh, of the key outside the three-point line, and he is wide open. We're watching this game. This dude is wide wide open, break down defensively, screen something, wide open. And he actually stutters right before he shoots the three-pointer because he notices he's so wide open. So he gathers himself, he kind of takes a, an extra half second and then, and then he shoots. And that shot was nothing but air. Total air ball, wide open, not a defender within five feet of him, takes a little extra time, shoots the ball, nothing but air, ball goes out of bounds. Total air ball. And I'm watching that and I look at my kids and we're like, whoa. And I'm thinking to myself, I could totally do that. Like I should have been a division one college basketball player. I could do that. We're watching the players tournament up just outside of Jacksonville. And I know many of you don't care about golf, but there's this hole on this golf course. It's like an island green. It's literally in the middle of the water. And the best players in all the world are hitting balls in the water. There was a guy we watched. Listen, he hit two golf balls in the water. He made a seven when he was supposed to make a three. A seven. I'm like, I could totally do that. And there's something oddly encouraging about seeing some of the best athletes in the world do things that average ordinary people would do. Have you ever had that experience? You're watching someone shank a golf ball. You're watching someone airball a shot. You're watching an infielder like let the ball go between his legs trying to field a ground ball. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's happened to me. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Exactly. You can totally relate to it. There's something oddly encouraging about seeing some of our heroes airball a three-pointer or hit the ball in the water twice on the same hole. It's like, yeah, hey, that happens to me. So the next time it happens to me or the next time it happens to you, 
just throw your club half the distance you would otherwise. Be encouraged. You're not, you're not alone. Even the best players in the world do this stuff, you know? And, and here's the thing I want to show you today in Abraham's life that, I mean, listen, a man of great faith and, and one of our heroes, he's not the ultimate hero, but one of our heroes, a foundational figure for us. He shot some air balls. He hit a few balls in the water. And, and Moses, who's recording the history of Genesis for us, actually includes, now check this out. He actually includes in the same chapter, both Abraham's triumph of faith to leave his family, leave his homeland and travel to a land that was unknown to him. And as we'll see today, a moment of tremendous failure. It's all right here in the same chapter. It's all right here, like in the opening section of Abraham's story. And it's all meant to encourage you and to encourage me that we need God. And we need him in moments where we're following closely. And we need him in moments when we're making foolish decisions. We need God because even our heroes were imperfect and their stories are meaningful and impactful because of God's faithfulness and favor to them, not just in their successes, but also in their failures. Let me remind you, if you weren't here last week, of what we talked about, the fact that Abraham was a man of tremendous faith. Here's what the author of Hebrews says about Abraham years later. He says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home, to go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. And he went without knowing where he was going. Tremendous faith. Abram leaving his homeland, going to a place where he was trusting God to show him, like, like he's just moving, he's going, he's following, he doesn't know where he's gonna end up. And, and, and he's trusting God's promises that God's gonna build a great nation from him. God's gonna bless his descendants. God's gonna do something great through this man and his family. So, so Abraham's going, he didn't know where he's going, but he's going, tremendous faith. But here's what we see today, that Abram did not become what we would term in our context, a super Christian overnight. And even though Abraham got off to an amazing start, and we give him credit for that, it's a, he's a great example of faith. Listen to me carefully. He's not yet where he needs to be for God to accomplish his ultimate purpose through him. And so God's gonna test his faith. And God's gonna grow his faith. And God's gonna mature his faith so that Abram gets to a place later in life when he will do what God asked him to do. Because if God were to ask Abram to do what he needs him to do, in an ultimate sense, at this point in his journey, shortly after leaving his homeland, he wouldn't do it. So what does God do? He tests him. He grows his faith. He puts him on a journey whereby he is going to, over the course of many years, get Abram where he needs to be. Now, lean in here. That's exactly how God's working in your life and mine. 
When you come to faith in Jesus and your sin is forgiven and you have that peace that surpasses all understanding and your life is changed, listen to me. You don't become a super Christian overnight. You don't wake up the next morning with an S on your chest and go to work or go to school and be like, oh man, I got it all figured out. No, 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 I got news for you. Even Christian men and women can make really stupid decisions. Even Christian men and women can struggle with fear. Even Christian men and women can struggle with their faith, can, can lack the courage to do what is required, right? So you don't become a super Christian overnight. So what is God doing in your life today? If you're a follower of Jesus, be encouraged. He's gonna do the exact same thing you did with Abraham. He's gonna present trials and testing so that you grow in your faith and get to the place where he can do ultimately in and through you what he saved you to do. And this is the encouragement of Abraham, a man who is a man of great faith and we esteem him as such, but also a man who on some level we can relate to. Because every now and then he put up an air ball. And every now and then he let a ground ball go between his legs. Every now and then he put two balls in the water. And here's the thing. I, I, want you to, I want you to be encouraged today that God is working in your life right now to grow your faith, mature your faith, stretch your faith to get you where you need to be. Let, let, let me show you to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. Check us out. Now at this time, here's what happens. Abraham leaves. He's following God closely. He's doing great. He's following the Lord. But right now, boom, this famine uh, appears in the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Notice real quick, listen, famines again were real things, okay? They are real things. And I praise God that in our society, you know, we don't deal with this. We ought to thank God for that because, because there are still places in the world today who deal with real famines and starvation, right? Like for us, a famine is, is every single Sunday because Chick-fil-A is closed. And just this morning, no kidding, I'm driving by Chick-fil-A on my way to church and, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, chicken minis. And, I, and, I, and I'm like, I'm there, I'm driving. I don't know, this morning I'm like, man, it just tastes so good to me. Like, that'd be good. Get the day off to a good start, you know, like give me some energy. And like, man, the Holy Spirit's in that chicken. And so I'm like, man, we're gonna be good to go. And I'm driving by and it's closed, right? The worst day of vacation is Sunday when you pull off the exit and you realize, that the Christian chicken is not available to you. This is what most of us as Americans refer to as famine. But in agricultural societies like those of the ancient Near East, a famine meant no crops and no crops meant Chick-fil-A was closed every day of the week. And so this is a real problem that even some societies deal with in the world even today. So this is a real problem. No fault to Abraham here for trying to navigate the problem. It's a real problem. But notice he takes his family to Egypt and he becomes, the word there is sojourner or, um, or, or a foreigner, meaning he settles there. He's not just like making a loop in and out. He's not just going there. And, like in other words, he's not just going through the drive-through. 
Like he's settling there for some long period of time, several years, he's sojourning there. He's not gonna stay there forever, but he's staying there for a while, at least until the famine subsides. And so he's gonna be there a while. And here's the thing, we don't know if that was the right move or the wrong move. The Bible doesn't say, Moses doesn't tell us like if this was right or wrong, maybe he was okay to go into Egypt, Uh, we don't know. But here's what we do know, what he does next was way wrong. Here's what happened. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you are a very beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him. And then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. And then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Now, Sarah, here's what's interesting. Sarah is 65 years old at this time and Abram is 75 years old. And Sarah, even according to Jewish tradition, was like exceedingly beautiful. Like one of the most beautiful people on planet earth kind of like she was just renowned for her beauty. And, And even though she's 65 years old, she does not look a day over 60, okay? I mean, she is beautiful, right? Well, no, actually, if you think about it, she lives to 137. So she's only about halfway through her life. You know, she's not that old relative to how long she will live. She's a beautiful woman. And Abram knew that when she got into Egypt, there was the likelihood that one of the king's princes would recruit her for his harem, which is exactly what happens. Abraham knew this was a risk. And listen, I I understand the risk of living with a beautiful woman. I can't take my wife anywhere. People looking, staring, right? Guys, are you with me on this? Listen, those of you who got your wife with you, would you just lean over to your wife right now and say, honey, your beauty is a risk to me. Would you just tell her that right now? Just tell her, her beauty is a risk to you and your family, right? <laughs> hey, all of us who married up, we get this, right? So. And so uh, Abraham is rightly concerned, right? Actually, his concerns are justified when he gets into Egypt, as we will see. And by the way, I've read many commentators that say, well, look at his selfishness. He's only concerned about himself. Hey, honey, let's say you're my sister so that, you know, it'll go well with me. And if it goes well for me, it'll go well with you. And like, look at how selfish he is. And all that. Well, I mean, here's the reality. The covenant promises were given to him. There are no Abraham's descendants without an Abraham. So I actually don't buy the commentary that Abraham was like uber selfish here. I I think he saw a risk. His risk that was perceived is actually legitimate as we will see. And I think he's trying to navigate the situation the best he can. I don't buy into this thing that, well, you know, Abraham was just... um, uber, uber, uber selfish at this point. I also, by the way, don't buy the argument that, well, you know, technically uh, Sarah was his sister, half sister. They actually had the same father, different mothers. And, you know, they, actually he didn't tell a lie. Okay, well, if that's what you're, belie- listen, that's a half truth, but you have crazy for believing. Okay, listen, no, that's, 
he lied. He flat out lied, okay? And we're gonna see Pharaoh call him out on it, but I'm just, so listen, he lied, he messed up. But I don't, I don't think it was born out of uber selfish. Here, here's, here's my take on this, okay? For whatever it's worth to you. I don't think his failure here is uber selfishness. I think his failure here, and here's the irony that Moses is highlighting for us in the same chapter of the Bible, is a lack of faith. Now here's his lack of faith that the God for whom he left his homeland cannot protect him and his covenant promises in Egypt. Abram seems to think at this moment in his life that God's providential covenant-keeping protection is limited by geographical boundaries. And if we go into Egypt with Sarah's beauty, something bad could happen. So Abraham, you had the faith to leave your homeland and your family and go to a place, travel to a place that you didn't even know where you were traveling to, but you don't think that that God who could preserve you in your traveling can preserve you in Egypt? That's his failure. And can I just tell you that God's providential protection and covenant-keeping power is not limited by geographical boundaries? But yet Abram here is like, I gotta take this into my own hands. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to figure this out on my own. That's his failure. His concerns are valid. In fact, they're justified. It's amazing, and this is what Moses is pointing out to you. That the same man at the beginning of Genesis 12 who displayed great faith and and had a record three-point barrage (laughs) is now putting up an air ball. And he's taking matters into his own hand. He's like, man, we got to lie and deceive. And that's exactly what happened. So look at this. Let Let me finish this section. And so sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. And when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, the king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. By the way, this is horrifically awful. Like, and this is Abraham, again, the fallout of his sin, of his sin of the lack of faith and a sin to fail to trust God. His wife is in a harem. That's how this worked. We don't know if Pharaoh ever brought her into his chamber. He may have done that. We don't know. We are not told. That could very well have happened. And so this is an awful situation. The whole time Abram's living in Egypt, again, he's sojourning there for several years. And and then look, on on top of that, like, like, like Pharaoh blesses him on behalf of his wife. So Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. You're like, ooh, camels. Well, go back to the original context. Livestock is luxury. That's how wealth is measured. The scripture's telling us Abraham becomes an exceedingly wealthy man. Camels were very rare. Only the wealthy had camels. I mean, camels were like Lamborghinis. Like if you saw someone with a camel, you're going, ooh, what year is this? <laughs> you know, like it was a really big deal. And Abram, like he's got it all. He's got, he's got goats, sheep, servants, camels. Like he's got it all. Meanwhile, his wife's in a harem. 
And this guy who had such amazing faith is now living by fear. And yeah, there are consequences to that. You say, what were the consequences? Well, because of Abram's wealth and his nephew Lot's wealth, guess what? When you turn the page in chapter 13 of Genesis, you find Abraham and Lot can't get along because their herdsmen are arguing about the sheep and the goats running around on each other's property and they own so much land in such close proximity to each other. Like, hey, we gotta separate and they separate and you know where Lot goes? Sodom. Keep turning the pages a few more chapters later, you find out Abram has another failure. He doesn't believe God's ever gonna give him a son through Sarah because now she's older than 65 and he sleeps with one of her servants who, by the way, most likely he got from Pharaoh here in Egypt. So now Abraham is blessed. We're gonna see God's faithful to him, but there are also consequences to his fear and him living through his fear and not his faith. And, and so here, here's what happens. Um, the Lord intervenes. And here's what scripture says. Now the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? There's the lie. He totally lied. And why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them and sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. He goes. And isn't it interesting that a non-believer has more moral sense than a believer in this moment? Because Abram's life is governed by fear, not faith. The man who left everything to follow is now cowering in fear to Pharaoh. And, and when Pharaoh discovers Abraham's lie and God brings these plagues upon his house, he, he releases Sarai, he gives her to Abram, he sends them on their way and he sends them on their way with everything they have. He just says, get out. And so right here in Genesis 12, we have both an example of Abraham's faith and his failure. And it reminds us of this. I'm gonna encourage you to write this down. A growing faith is a tested faith. A growing faith is a tested faith. And listen to me carefully. Here's the encouragement we get from Abraham's life early on, okay? you will never outgrow your need for faith. Some of you have been following Jesus for 50 years. Hey, I got news for you. God's not done with you yet. Some of you have been following God for two years and maybe you're discouraged, you're frustrated. You're like, man, I just, I'm not over the hump yet. Yeah, I feel like I'm struggling. Hey, some of our human heroes struggled Stay in the race. See, whatever your situation, here's what we're learning in Genesis 12, that, that you will never outgrow your need for faith. Therefore, God's gonna work through both blessing and testing to grow your faith, increase your faith, stretch your faith so that you are in a position to do what he has prepared for you in the future to receive what he has prepared for you in the future. You may not be where you need to be today, but God's gonna be working in your life if you're one of his children so that you get to where you need to be tomorrow. 
A growing faith is a tested faith because listen to me, faith is like a muscle. In order for it to grow, it needs resistance. It needs a healthy diet and it needs resistance. It needs both. And you can tell by looking at me, I am a shining example of what it looks like to build muscle. And this youth large shirt that I'm wearing bears witness to my time in the gym or lack thereof. Come on, you don't have to be like an MMA fighter to know that when you run, you bike, you lift, you work out, whatever, like you're building muscle. It's the resistance, it's the struggle. That, that, that's what grows you, that's what stretches you, right? And your spiritual faith is no different. Listen, God's gonna bring testing moments into your spiritual journey to grow your faith. He did it with Abraham and he does it with us. That's why James says this in James one, look, for you know, that when your faith is tested, James says, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Don't be discouraged. Don't grow weary and well-doing. Let it grow. Endure these seasons of hardship. Endure these periods of testing. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's what God is doing in Abram's life. He's bringing him to a place where, as we will see in a few weeks, he's going to be asked to lower the knife. And so God's testing him now to grow his faith and get him where he needs to be. And so let me give you some encouragement, and I'm done. Real quick, jot these down. Hey, anybody ready for some encouragement today? Man, come on, come on, come on. All right. Abraham shot air balls for a reason. Okay, here we go. Come on, real quick. Jot this down. Listen to me. Faithful followers have faithless moments. And so when you have them, keep in mind that some of God's very best had them too. That's why Moses contrasts Abraham's amazing faith with his amazing fear and failure, same chapter. And wherever you are in your faith journey, dear one, listen to me very carefully. Just keep in mind that as a faithful follower of Jesus, you're gonna have faithless moments. I've had them and you will too. You know who else had them? Men like Elijah the great prophet of Israel who called down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And then shortly after that miraculous moment where, where Elijah is like riding a spiritual high and God's worked in a miraculous way, so much so that Elijah literally hikes up his robe and runs back to Jezreel, the capital city where Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel were. And, he, and he's running back ahead of the king because he's anticipating that when the king gets back, there's gonna be some kind of royal pronouncement that there's repentance in the land and Israel's fleeing back to God. But that's not what happens. When he gets back to the capital, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, what you did to the prophets of Baal, I'm going to do to you. And Elijah, the same man who moments before, days before, just called down fire from heaven, then hikes up his robe again and runs away from Jezreel and runs away from the Lord and says to God, I'm out. In fact, he says, just take my life. I'm done. I'm, I'm through with this. Really? 
And we so often talk about the moment of him calling down fire from heaven and we forget literally what happened next. He cowered in fear and ran from Jezebel and told God, I'm done. He had an amazing moment of faith followed by an amazing moment of fear. Faithful followers have faithless moments. Um, Some of you are like, well, I bet if you walk close enough with Jesus, that would never happen. Okay, first of all, quit talking like a nerd and listen to me, okay? It does happen. You ever heard of Peter? The bold, brash follower of Jesus in person, three years, public ministry, Peter on the cutting edge of things. (laughs) No pun intended. Okay, so... Peter denied the Lord. Straight up denied him. Can you imagine the grief in his heart when Jesus later confronts that? Bold, brash, afraid of no one and no thing, Peter denies the Lord. Faithful followers have faithless moments and you'll have them too. But here's, here's a good word. Listen, God's protection and God's provision follow his promises. And you can never wreck or ruin God's promises in your life. And some of you are here today and you're like, you know what, maybe a foolish decision I made or a string of decisions, maybe you're not where you need to be and you're not following Jesus like you need to follow and maybe you're fearful that somehow you've wrecked or ruined God's promises to you. I got news for you. God's promises are in full effect. You cannot wreck or ruin them. And even Abram comes out of Egypt with more than he went in there with. And and that's just evidence that God is going to protect and provide even in these faithless moments when we struggle. Because last thing, write this down, our faithless moments don't nullify God's faithfulness. And he's gonna be faithful even when we are not, right? That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, when we are faithless, he is faithful for he will not deny himself or who he is. Our God is faithful 100% of the time. And we celebrate that today. So here's the thing. Faithful followers have faithless moments. These faithless moments will never wreck or ruin God's promises because he's faithful even when we are not. And our faithfulness is contingent upon his faithfulness. And his faithfulness never changed because it's tied to the ultimate hero of human history, Jesus. The God-man who triumphed where Abraham failed. Who triumphed where David failed. Let me go back to Abraham. You know, look, Abraham in his moment of testing cowers to fear and he fails. He has a faithless moment. You know what Jesus did in the moment of his testing? He kept living by faith. And at the beginning of his public ministry, when when Satan tempted him directly, Jesus said three times in a row, it is written. Amen? It is written. And then at the close of his public ministry, moments before his crucifixion, in his deepest moment of sorrow and temptation, 
Jesus said, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. And where Abraham failed, Jesus triumphed. And Abraham's testing, he, he cowered in fear. Jesus lived by faith. And he went to the cross and he died for our sin in our place, but he rose from the dead and he conquered death and hell and shame and sin, right? And he, he's, he's then ensured that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit as a down payment that yes, we're going to endure so that every single person saved by the grace of Jesus will endure to the end. You cannot lose your salvation because it was never yours to gain. It is given to you by the grace of God. It is sealed in you by the power of his spirit. And that's why the message of the New Testament is endure. Endure, endure, keep running. Don't give up, don't stop, keep going. <laughs> because faithful followers have faithless moments. Maybe you're in one right now and God's bringing conviction on your heart. But whatever the case, here's the hope that we have. God's promises endure and his faithfulness endures forever. And so here's what the scripture says to do, keep don't stop, don't grow weary in well-doing, don't give up because the Lord loves you. Jesus intercedes before the Father on your behalf. The Spirit seals you, convicts you, guides you, and God's working in your life through your faithful moments and your faithless moments to test your faith, to get you to a place where he can do in and through you all that he has planned from the very beginning. Don't miss it.